Oh no. American Soccer Show, we're back. Cancer, Emma McConnell, MLS Cup in the books. We actually made it, despite uh, everyone telling us that we never would. We started one week before the season started, and we're still here. So that means we've exceeded all expectations. We've made more episodes than anyone else would have ever thought we would. And perhaps most importantly, we have a champion. Is that most important? I think it is. I mean, champions are great and all, but I think that there needs to be an American Soccer Show party. All listeners are invited at Eric's house. <laughs> Come on by. Uh, momentous moment for the cup winners. We'll make some carne asada for you. Ah, it'd be delicious. Uh, tremendous moment for the cup winners and for the American Soccer Show getting to this point. Um, it was a fun game, but it was. I think it went pretty much how we expected. Honestly, yeah. I think if you were going to draw it up, beforehand just based on what you know about both teams and the circumstances going in I, I think it's about what you would have expected honestly it could things could have changed I, that, like any game a couple moments could have changed things but at the end of the day it, it went just about how you would expect just in terms of how how Atlanta got after Portland and how Portland wasn't really able to respond and you know they had their chances Portland did have their chances and they didn't take them so the game kind of got away from them and I think Portland had a pretty good uh, setup. But before we get there, right. some, there's some news we need to attend to first. Yes, like the hiring of Greg Berhalter officially being hired. He's introduced as the men's national team coach. He's done the rounds on every you know MLS platform you can think of and other United States soccer platforms. So go check them out. You know he's talked about. You know he's got he's been brought in to implement a style as you would expect. You know, th- there's been a lot of talk about him and his possession-based style, and uh, I, Emmett, I have to ask. You know, we watched Columbus play. I, 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 that's not really the first thing I would have associated with Columbus's possession. He doesn't. I, I, I don't know that he's like this giant possession man that everyone's kind of making him out to be. Well, I think the thing that makes Greg Berhalter a good coach is that he's not just a one-dimensional. We're just gonna possess. You know, it's not like. Um, you know, I think Tata in the beginning of the season with Atlanta was, we're just going to, you know, we're going to keep more of the ball. We're going to outrun them. We're going to get a lot of shots. And it was one-dimensional, and teams started figuring out, and he had to make adjustments. Burhalter's he, he has made adjustments. He's multi-dimensional coach. Um, I see him as, you know, possession out of the back. But once it gets past the back, it gets pretty direct. So, you know, between his goalkeeper and his four defenders, they'll go sideways, sideways, keep the ball, keep the ball. Uh, but when you get it, comes into a guy like Will Trapp, comes into Arthur, you know, they're looking first time for their forward's foot, uh, in this case, Jossi Zardes, or uh, into uh, Superior Higuain <laughs> uh, playing underneath, or, you know, uh, a, a diagonal out to a winger or something. So he wants, like, it, it appears as a possession base, but, you know, the goal against the Red Bull, for example, singular, I guess, Red Bulls uh, in Columbus, that was just a direct ball from uh, Milton Valenzuela out of the back, straight into Higuain's feet, and he flicked it on to Zardes, and he's in on goal. Two passes. You know, all the possession out of the back doesn't mean anything, but I agree. I mean, there's, I think he's more than just possession is my point. I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. I, I think that it's, 
look, I one of the reasons why I was always so in the corner maybe of Greg Berhalter's hiring wasn't so much because I thought he was necessarily the best man for the job, but because I do think that he has an adaptability to him. And that's what the national team manager needs to have. Look, if it's not there, it's not there. He doesn't get to choose, you know, he doesn't get to sign players that fit his system. He's got a fine, he's got a, a fine amount of players a finite that's the word i'm looking for i'm like that doesn't sound right a finite amount of players that he can choose from from the pool so he's got to make it work with them there's no there's not going to be any you know special summer signings that he can bring in that fit his system so i look this this is a u.s team that struggles to keep the ball against central american sides that aren't very good I shudder to think of the U.S. trying to do things like oh, playing, uh, as much as I hate this word, sorry ball out of the back and trying to pass out and hold possession or, you know, against a, a top opposition side, let alone going to Central America and trying it. So I, I think it's for the best that he's adaptable. Yeah, and he's by no means a sorry ball kind of guy. He's, you know, we saw him in this, the knockout games, for example, this year against D.C. and last year against Atlanta. He was prepared to suffer without the ball. Yeah, but you know he's not, you know, playing with thirty percent of the ball, forty percent. He he is keeping about fifty percent of it, but it's you know it's not you know passing around the other team's half. It's passing in the back, playing around, looking for a hole, and then once that hole opens, attack, go through it. Um, and he doesn't have the ball. You know he does defend. He's one of the few coaches I think in MLS who has, you know, a, a mentality of we need to defend. We need to keep a shutout. Uh, which will be important going into the international stage where shutouts can be everything. That is true. So we'll see what he does in his first action in January. Everybody's favorite camp cupcake full of nothing but MLS players. They're going to be playing Panama January 27th in Arizona. Uh, and in case you're wondering, they're play- yes, they are playing in Glendale in the Arizona Cardinals Stadium. I think it's called State Farm Stadium now. A, a bold decision, to say the least, because they're not filling that place. Uh, honestly, I'll be shocked if they fill a quarter of it, given the opponent, given the star power, lack thereof star power for that U.S. roster. So we'll see how that goes. And then February 2nd against Costa Rica and San Jose. And to be clear, San Jose, California, not San Jose, the capital of Costa Rica. Maybe little reasons for everything. I mean, Phoenix getting an MLS bid. This could be a chance for them to see how they turn out. And San Jose, once again, U.S. can't give Costa Rica any uh, they have to give them any chance at home field advantage, like playing uh, in uh, Harrison, New Jersey, uh, to make them feel at home. Other news, uh, Maryland this weekend claimed the NCAA men's soccer final with a one nothing win over Akron. Uh, last year's final between Indiana and Stanford uh, had some pretty big names. Grant Lillard from your Chicago Fire and Mason Toy uh, from Minnesota, both on Stanford and Indiana. Thomas Hilliard Arse, not really playing much for the Galaxy, and Rookie of the Year, Corey Baird. So it'll be exciting to see who comes from this batch uh, into MLS draft next year, who will be saying, oh, yeah, that's that guy. He was pretty good. Uh, eh, he wasn't We that usually guy. get about one or two a year that are solid contributors on MLS teams. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Maryland were not large, right? They weren't even, they weren't even, they didn't even win the Big Ten, tur- or Big Ten tournament. So that's pretty impressive for them. Yeah, and uh, Akron wasn't even ranked going into it. I think they took down uh, Stanford. <laughs> Hashtag Maction. To, uh, to get to the final. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like you said, there's, what, two or three guys who make an impact? I think that number goes down every year. I think it's tougher and tougher to get guys from the college level with the influx of young South American talent. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, things, 
things will change. I think I, I don't know that college soccer is sustainable the way it is now because I, something's going to have to change with the way that we develop uh, kids in this country. I mean, yeah, you had, what was it, a couple of years ago when the union had those three-round, first-round picks. Jack Harrison, first-round pick, was a star. Kyle Laren before that. Um, you know, that round, Keegan Rosenberry, uh, Brandon Vincent, who is now retired at a young age. So, every, you know, you do get years where there's a decent amount of impact players, but uh, the last two years, not exactly as much. Ah, look, and there's no accounting for the Chicago Fire sucking the soul out of you to play, so... You know, you can't can't count for that. Yeah, so we'll see how many more players have the soul sucked out of them. There was a big transfer, big if you're uh, an American soccer show fan, Fabian Herbers from the Philadelphia Union <laughs> to Chicago Fire for a second round draft pick. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he slots into that team. Uh, I hope he's as productive as Tony Chaney was. I'm sure it's a very high bar to hit. I'm sure it's tough to do much worse than that, but. Without further ado, let's get to the MLS Cup final. Yes, yes, yes. That big night on Saturday, uh, Bart Simpson Fox. Fox rolled out, pulled out all the stops, rolled out the red carpet for the game. 73,019 people in attendance. Almost brought a tear to the eye. That and the national anthem. That little girl, she can sing. That was probably the most surprising thing about this game. How great that was. No, just seeing a seven-year-old sing the national anthem in general. I mean, it was like leaked beforehand, but still, just watching it was like, I'm surprised people can even speak English at that at that age. <laughs> at that, like, I don't think I was, I don't think I was forming full sentences at seven. <laughs> well, at seven years old, she's already accomplished more than me, that's for sure. So, congratulations to her. Uh, congratulations to the Atlanta fans for filling the stadium the way they did. Congratulations to the Portland fans that showed up. I know that they didn't get the allotment they wanted, and there was a big controversy about Atlanta's front office at the last minute, like allowing them one drum instead of like the three that they agreed on and some flags that didn't end up being able to be brought into the stadium. So uh, I congratulate anybody that made that trip. That's that's a lot of dedication, and uh, they apparently stuck around for the end. So uh, good for them. Yeah, I'm not sure. To be fair, I guess it's a little bit poking holes, but I'm not sure that away fans can just leave whenever they want. I think they have to stick it out to the end. And in this situation, that be, might be a little bit tough waiting for the, the stadium to empty uh, as the team is celebrating on the field. But certainly credit to making that trip to the final. The uh, Timbers Army showed up in force, uh, but uh, they didn't see the best out of their Portland on the night. Yeah, so we talked about it. It was 2 nothing Atlanta, but we talked about how it kind of went the way you would have probably scripted it out if you just had to go with what you thought would happen in you know most scenarios and look you know Portland came out their usual their four two three one that they were using at the end of the season Atlanta following suit of course they in the playoffs they went to that you know the three or the five back line however you want to see it the I have it listed as a three five two so they they went back to that formation one last time if it ain't broke don't fix it and then like you know the, it was a feeling out process that first you know fifteen minutes or so didn't really have a whole lot but then we got that you know that ball into Martinez and no foul called. I thought it was a foul. I don't know about you. I thought it should have been a penalty. I, um, I'm going to go against it this time. I don't think it was a foul. Uh, yes, my Biala sticks his foot in, dives in, and he catches Martinez. But I think Martinez is looking, anticipating for that contact, and he basically just drills the ball forward uh, out of bounds. He was, you know, he had no chance of getting the follow-up touch. So I think for him it was just a, you know, 
He knew it's coming. Uh, coin toss, they went, you know, VAR decided against it. Maybe that was a bit of a, you know, at least for me, it's tough to give a penalty that early in a, in a cup final. You have to be really sure that it's going to happen, that that's a penalty, even with VAR. Uh, and I'm, I'm okay with it not being given, to be honest. I, I thought it was a penalty, and I think it's the wrong call on the field. But I do at least sort of understand the VAR, because when you look at it, to me, it's not a clear and obvious error. I think it's a 50-50. I think I agree with you that it's a 50-50 call. I'm just leaning on the side that it should have been a penalty. And, like, you know, Alexi mm-hmm. Lalas is talking afterwards about how, well, if you're a defender, you're saying no way. And if you're an attacker, and then he's like, so for me, it's not a penalty. And I'm like, okay, well, that that's great, buddy, but... That's not really how this is supposed to work. He either fouled him or he didn't. Like, I, I think he fouled him. But honestly, especially seeing how the game ended up, it really didn't matter all that much. But I, I don't know. He goes crashing into him for me. Martinez beats him to the spot. What he's supposed to do as a forward. And he just he gets run into. And I, I think that's a penalty, at least for me. Because he gets knocked down after beating a guy to the spot. And see, here's the thing is, I, I, I agree with you on pretty much every point. Um, and the the one thing that I'm kind of giving in favor of my Biala is, you know, not really uh, a factor that should go into it in that this is a cup final 15 minutes in. Um, I know it's not supposed to affect the decision for a penalty, you know, but it always does. If that's a foul at midfield, that's going to be given a foul. And I know, okay, that should be given in the box, but, you know... With the influence that that kind of calls in a game, I'm okay with it not being given. If it's given, I'd say, eh, I don't agree with it, but it's not a bad call. I do, I do agree that it does, some of it is, you know, that penalty bias and uh, cup final. The referee, whose name escapes me at the moment, but uh, is, is known definitely for his laid-back refereeing, just allowing the teams to play. He's very much, you know, an even official when it comes to that. They said that he, he does. He's allowed a lot of physicality over the years. So uh, he was consistent. I'll give him that. I thought it was a very well ref game, all things considered, even disregarding the fact that I disagree with the penalty call or lack of thereof. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he lets play. He let play go most of the game. I thought there was a lot of contact that wasn't given. I like seeing the, in general, those, play, you know, fouls not given, letting players kind of grow into the game, not being afraid of putting in a tackle. And being more willing to stay on their feet when a tackle does come in. Because that's when you kind of get those crazy plays and uh, open open football and all that stuff. You know, when you get getting fouls, it really slows the game down, kind of kills it. And it does perhaps affect how the game and how the players go after it. Because later on in that first half, Portland's trying to play the ball out of the back. And the ball gets to Ibo Bise, but Ibo Bise is not able to control it because he gets run into from behind. And the ball ends up to Martinez. Martinez makes Portland pay for that mistake, and it's one nothing Atlanta. So you could argue that actually worked in Atlanta's favor in the end because he was calling such a physical game. It allowed someone to be a little more aggressive in that midfield area coming up for a ball that, you know, Ibo says he'll learn. He'll definitely learn. But you got to come to that ball, and you got to stay strong there because you allow the ball to get played back towards your goal, and it ends in a disaster like it did there. Yeah, you can't lose it. You know, you could argue the pass maybe shouldn't have Well, happened, it was a but... hard pass. It was definitely not something that, you know, it was definitely not the most uh, controllable pass in the world. But, you know, Ibo Bisse's got to know that ball's, the ball cannot go back towards the goal. It's got to go somewhere else. And, I mean, credit to Michael Parkhurst. He does just kind of sweep right through behind him. Uh, you know, a less lenient ref, that could be a foul given. Uh, he does win the ball. 
So, uh, you know, the fact that it's behind doesn't, I would think, should make too big of an, uh, an impact because he doesn't really get the man all that much. But uh, great tackle from your captain, from the veteran. And uh, Martinez, no, no mistake putting it away. Uh, definitely a bit of uh, a youth error there from uh, Ibobese and Portland. Yeah. And the pass, too. Like you said, it was, it was not a great pass. So that's how Portland went uh, into the half. They did have one chance, though. On the break, they got Sebastian Blanco in the box, and he puts the ball back towards the middle. Where Ibobese gets a header. It's basically how you would have drawn up a goal for Portland if you were going to get one in that first half. And just Grad Guzan makes a good save. But, you know, one of the things they teach you when, the, when heading the ball is generally you want to head the ball back where it came from. Yeah, and he goes the other direction. Uh, I, I think part of, you know, the, the power he got on it and that direction was... It was a little bit behind him and a little bit high. So his only real attempt was to be able to kind of lean back a little bit and try to re, uh, redirect it to the left side of the net as opposed to the right. Uh, but if he could get up and get over that ball, I think that is a sure goal. Well, it should be for, for sure, so, especially someone with a, his stature and you know a, a ball that would be good in this case from Sebastian Blanco. You would think he'd be able to do it. But, um, you know, it, it happens. And Brad Guzan, let's not take anything away from him too, you know, I think this happened in the uh, the second Trafico where we, we praised Tyler Miller because Tyler Miller basically sold out for, uh, I think the ball was played across, basically. and the Yeah, D- and, and Kamara mm-hmm. got... Uh, he got stuffed, basically. Smothered, yeah. So that's basically basically what Guzan does here. Guzan basically sells out for this, you know, this header that's going to go to his to Guzan's right. He sells out for it, and he's able to make the save. Now, again, he didn't get a lot of power on it. I think even if he gets, if he just gets more power, he probably gets it by Guzan. But because he doesn't, he's not able to get enough power on it. It's just kind of a floating header that Guzan is in position to get to. So take nothing away from Guzan's positioning either. It was a good save by him. And credit all all night to Guzan. I mean, he only made, had to make you know less than a handful of saves, but he was tremendous in the air. Can't tell you how many crosses came in from that right side, you know, whether it be Blanco, Polo, um, Marco. Valentin. I knew that was coming. <laughs> and But he would always come up big, coming out for the cross, being big. Um, and not that, you know, they weren't great crosses, but I don't think they were bad. It's not like they were lofted in and gave him plenty of time to get to them. He just showed a lot of confidence coming out and claiming those balls. That was... You know, a few of those get through. Maybe he tries to let the defense handle it. Uh, tough to say what would happen, but he was immense in that regard. Yeah. So, it basically, look, it, it basically came down to this. Portland were getting smothered when when you're playing against a team that's playing three and five in the back. One of the things is you cannot, you don't really want to let the team, you know, smother you with their wing back, staying up the field constantly. You want to make them defend. You want to make them have to stay back at least a little bit so that you can have a little more space to operate when you have the ball and trying to push it forward. So and then the second half, Portland came out a lot more aggressively, and it looked like maybe they were heading towards getting an equalizer when the foul happens. And there's been a lot of talk about whether this was a foul or not. I'm pretty sure it was a foul. I think Portland fans would be remiss in trying to, you know, blame the referee for calling a foul there when I thought it was a pretty obvious foul. Yeah, it was. A, it was an unnecessary foul too. At that, it wasn't something you needed to dive in and give away. Uh, and that was what I was thinking when it happened. You know, there's so many free kicks given that how often, you know, how many of them are really dumb to give away. It seems whenever they're a, it's a really dumb foul, 
It almost always comes back it, to bite him, and that's what this was. It always boggles my mind when defenders commit fouls when someone's going the opposite way of the goal. Yeah, like they're not, you know, they're not gaining anything on you. You don't really have a chance to win the ball, and yet you bite in and kind of hope. You know, even if you get a foot on the ball, chances are it's just going to go backwards to one of their, you know, one of their guys. So it was, in my mind, a silly foul, one of the few given in this game that was, again, I think was well refed. Uh, and Atlanta from set pieces, they've been fantastic in these playoffs. They have. It was the year of the set piece. If you're, if you were living on that hype train during the World Cup. And through other means, so you know it was it was the year of the set piece, as they said. And I mean, it just it was a really well done one. I love it because you know Gressel runs like he's going to take it and then stops. And Almirón immediately runs up and takes it. So Portland's back line has already pushed back, anticipating the cross. Cross doesn't come in. Now they're scrambling back to try to get back in position. But at that point, it's too late because Almirón's ball is already coming in. Everyone's out of position. Ball gets flicked across, and Franco Escobar's right where he should be, continuing his run and scoring. Finish your runs, kids. Yeah, I mean, it's I. you can give as much credit as you want to Atlanta, but if Portland was a little bit more, um, you know, confident and assured with what they were, how they were defending, if they had any idea that this might be a fake, as almost every free kick is these days, two men out there, so you don't know who's going to be taking it. Uh, the replay, you look at the side view, there's like three Portland players already back, like on their six when it's hit. And it would be a situation if they held their line, they held firm, Joseph Martinez probably would have been drifted into an offside position, uh, and it wouldn't have been a goal. So it was, you know, over-eager defending, giving away the foul, and then over-eager defending, dropping back before it's kicked. And that's really what opens up the space for Atlanta. Uh, just Martinez does get a very subtle but definite flick uh, that sends it back to Escobar, who... You know, deserve some credit. Two goals in these playoffs, both have been massive. You need you need goals from wingbacks, that's for sure. You can't you can't play the wingbacks and then not get goals from them. It is what ultimately led to uh, <laughs> Chelsea's downfall was having no production from those players because offensively, because it's ni- it's all ni- nice and well to have five defenders sometimes, but when they're not contributing offensively, it puts a lot of pressure on the people in front of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't have to be getting goals per se, but you know, you definitely have to be putting service in. Uh, at least Escobar, you know, he's a big guy. You can put him up there for set pieces. I don't think Greg Garza is going to be as much of a goal threat in the box from those. But uh, when you have a guy who's, I mean, Escobar played some center back this year, who's uh, finishing the way this kid is, uh, that's that's immense for a team. And it takes a lot of pressure off the stars like Martinez and Almiron, who are expected to be scoring every goal. Yeah, so tough night for Portland after that. Not a lot happened for them. They did get one in the 84th minute, which would have given them some life. But, you know, uh, Powell gets a ball in behind from Blanco, who was, you know, he put in a couple of good balls during the game. But this one, you know, Powell will tell you he needs to do better because this ball goes right over the top of the defense. He's got a one-on-one with the goalkeeper, and he just completely, he gets it all wrong, and this ball goes way out of bounds. So... I feel bad for him, but it's a bad situation, I guess, for, you know, you don't really expect Powell to be the one that has to get on the end of this thing, but he's there, and he's got to at least put it on target. I mean, it's the opposite wing back in this position. Uh, I think at that point, Zarek Valentin had been pushed back into a three-man back line, and it's Powell, the right wing yep. back. Uh, you know, he does what Escobar can't, and honestly, he had, uh, I think it might have been Valeri across the net, he yeah, had, he did. If he sh- if he shoots that, it's a pretty decent chance of you get anything behind it on net, and it hits his standing foot. 
uh, as he goes to strike it. I think he trips in the process, too. Really, really disappointing, but, I mean, give him credit. He was coming on as a sub and trying to catch up to the pace of the game. Not exactly the best game for a youngster. I think he's 21 to come into uh, and try to get up to speed in a cup final, so... A little bit of credit for him there. Yeah, no, it's a tough. It's not by any means. It was not like a gimme or anything, but you got to have it too because in that situation, that was basically their last chance. And once that didn't happen for them, I think it was just kind of a resigned fate from the Portland side after that. And uh, very rarely do you get curtain calls in the final. You know, Joseph Martinez kind of got one league MVP, ended up being named the MVP of the final and of the All Star game. Apparently, the first time that's ever happened in league history. And then you know Miguel Amiron, who everyone expects to leave in January. Got his curtain call as well. Ezekiel Barco comes on for him. And that one, you kind of see what it uh, what it meant to him. He seemed very appreciative. But there was a report out recently that Almiron is interested in staying this offseason. Yeah, I, I saw that, and it just... I don't know that it makes any sense for Atlanta. Because, I mean, it does make sense. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure you would love to keep him. But Great player. He is a, a fantastic player, but... One of the things is that Atlanta's, you know, whole whole shtick, uh, gimmick. I, I, I'm making it sound like a bad thing, but their their like their their manifest is like it states clearly: we are not here to you know to just to win titles and to you know sign these great players. We want to be able to be the place, a destination for these young South Americans and from other places to say, hey, you know. You'll get attention here. You'll get headlines here, and people will see you here, and then you can go to Europe. Yeah, they do want to be that little middleman. And if a, uh, I, I'm, just to finish, if a season like the one Almiron just had doesn't get you to Europe, that's going to be tough to sell to people. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the situation is. Um, we don't. I don't think we have enough information to know. Maybe Almiron really, really likes it in Atlanta. He's okay with, you know, staying a year or two there before he moves on. Maybe he's waiting for a, a specific team to come after him. Maybe he doesn't want to go to a Newcastle. Well, I was going to say, I wouldn't blame him for maybe not wanting to go to Newcastle. Although, to be fair, he also basically be guaranteed to be playing as long as he plays well. Rafa Benitez always known for rewarding, you know, good talent. And, I mean, I certainly there's not that many coaches I'd rather play under than, than Benitez, but... I, I do. I would understand that the uncertainty constantly surrounding Newcastle with Mike Ashley not wanting to sell the team, but also always saying he wants to sell the team. Yeah, I don't think he would. I think Atlanta wants at least fifteen million for him, maybe more. So they wouldn't pay. West Ham was one destination, but so it's possible he's waiting for. You know, I don't know if he wants to go to the Premier League, if he wants to go to Spain, uh, if he wants to go to Italy. I'm sure Martinez would kind of try to push him away from going to Italy so <laughs> well do you remember uh do you remember oh I had a thought and I've already lost it well anyway the point is that oh the art like Arsenal Arsenal were like that was like a done deal I remember halfway through the season yeah. and now apparently Arsenal's not interested which is kind of unfortunate but I guess it kind of goes to show that uh things have kind of changed at Arsenal a lot in the last four months or so I mean he could potentially be a Ramsey replacement but I think that's too big a step up I think you go Mid lower table team uh, in a top four league. <laughs> Arsenal. But, mid, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, okay. Beside that, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think this is another Burhalter situation where it's uh, will he, won't he? Yeah, he will. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, in the end, I think when push comes to shove, Atlanta was the best team this year. And congratulations to the Red Bulls, the Supporters' Shield, semifinal in the CONCACAF Champions League, and beating Atlanta twice. 
But I think we all knew this This was Atlanta's year. It was their year to lose. It was, they were the team to beat. Uh, and with everything that's been created uh, in Atlanta, it, you can finally say that this is the mold that they wanted. Uh, you know, it's more than just creating, a, getting a big crowd. Uh, it's it's marketing the team. And this is, I mean, if you're Don Garber, you're probably rooting for Atlanta in this <laughs> one. Yeah, no kidding. Because this is how you get attention to the league. And this is, I mean, same thing with Toronto last time. It's, you know, the big money. I mean, Atlanta's not even that big a spender compared to Toronto last year. So uh, the big spenders, the big hot product winning is definitely good for the league. It'll be interesting to see Portland win, but uh, it'll be very interesting to see where Atlanta goes from here with or without Amiron. Yeah. And with the re- the report that Pity Martinez might be on the way. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get down there uh, to the – because we do have to lay – Portland to rest, and uh, I don't know if we ever determined what we were going to call the Atlanta because it's not clearly not going to be an obituary. They're still going, but uh, survivor, survivor. They, the were the, they were the one survivor. Okay, I can I can live with that. But first, but first, it's everyone's favorite favorite time. The Concacaf Champions League draw was on Monday. I'm sure everyone watched this thing with bated breath, like they do the actual Champions League uh, draw. Every single time, just like I did, I was, you know, I was on the edge of my seat listening to them introduce the teams. Ah, whatever. Like, so we, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was liking it. It was good. Good discussion. I was, I was having fun with it. But we're just gonna, I was gonna breeze through this really quickly, uh, because I, I did probably more, more looking at these other teams, these Central American teams, than anyone else, else ever will and should, because there's really no point. But uh, anyway, you got Santos from Mexico and Marathon versus from uh, Honduras. I literally saw that name and I'm like the gas station marathon. They have a team, huh? Huh? Who would have thought? Yeah. No, that's all I know about them. <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, okay, four. They placed fourth this past season, eliminated in the first round of their playoffs. So yeah, that's that's what you have to know about that team from Honduras. You have New York Red Bulls visiting a Dominican Republic team, the winners of the uh, Caribbean Cup Championship. Atletico Pantoja. I this is about the best draw the Red Bulls could have hoped for because that team is not good. Major disappointment if the Red Bulls can't beat a a team from the Caribbean. Yeah, no kidding. So this should be a dream for them. Uh, you got Tigres against Deportivo Saprissa. That's going to be phenomenal. So if you uh, if you like if you just like soccer, that should be a fun one because Costa Rican teams usually pretty good. Uh, they were the number one team in Costa Rica this past season, though they were eliminated in the semifinals of their playoffs. Uh, Saprissa were. Tigres were quarterfinalists in their league. You got the Houston Dynamo versus Guastatoya. And I've never heard of that team either from Guatemala. And this could have been you, Philly. You could have been going to Guatemala. Uh, you had to run, rub dirt in the wound. I had to do it. It, is, it hurts even more. You could have been going to Guatemala. Think of the great the, the, the atmosphere at Talon and Energy Stadium crickets the amount first it was first it was lemon juice in the wound then it was salt now it's dirt oh it hurts so bad but uh this is kind of the one question mark because with the u.s open cup qualifiers usually not one of the top teams in the league it's just a team that gets a run but they're playing a team from guatemala outside of the mexican and the costa rican teams they should win but we did have colorado last year reminding everyone that they did actually play uh not getting knocked out early. Oh, well, so. oh hang on. Col- we'll see Colorado how Colorado got it. knocked out by Toronto, didn't they? I think th- I think who you're looking for is Dallas. Getting knocked out. Was it Dallas? T- by getting knocked out by Taro. That's probably it. That's uh that, <laughs> that, that was shocking. <laughs> that that was just uh, shocking. But speaking of uh Toronto, 
Uh, this was Houston, if you remember, was the team that smashed Toronto's B team 4 nothing when Toronto was focusing on the CONCACAF Champions League. We'll see if how the Houston Dynamo will like it when they get a taste of their own medicine next year. <laughs> when Houston was like, no, we're not going to reschedule the game. Yeah, this, this year they'll be playing Toronto. They might put Toronto on that fixture just because. Oh, I'd love, I'd love that. Um, I'm going to put a bookmark on that so that I remember that. We'll come back to we'll that. We'll come one. back to that. But perhaps the spiciest of all the matchups in the round of 16. You got Toluca from Mexico going against Sporting Kansas City here in the U.S. So this is this is a tough one for Sporting Kansas City because this is, unfortunately, while I would rather have you know the weaker team of MLS get a weak matchup so that they might be able to move on, Reality is, I think I would have easily traded Sporting Kansas City and uh, Houston's draw for this very reason, that Toluca is a very good team. And Sporting Kansas City has their work cut out for them. That game in Mexico is going to be tough. Just so you know, the Mexican League starts again, usually like first or second week of January. MLS won't start until March. And first week of March. So usually by this time, it's in February when these games kick off, I believe. Yes, late February. you have some teams up to speed and some not even starting yet. That's going to be tough, so good luck to them. And finally, we have Toronto, the aforementioned Canadian champions again, taking on Atletico Independiente uh, from Panama. That team's new to the competition. Independiente are actually terrible based on the season they had. They finished ninth in Panama this past season. Not that that's, I guess, anything that important, seeing as Toronto finished almost last in the East, so... Yeah, but it's, I still think it's a tor- strong Toronto team. We'll see if they can wipe this last season from their memory. Let's hope so. And let's hope so they go for the uh, let's go let they go for the cup again. <laughs> this time it's theirs. Go for it again, but maybe leave something for the regular season. Nah. Who needs or who not. needs the regular season? We want to win this Champions League. Uh, Atlanta United, Herediano. That another Costa Rican team. That is not going to be easy. That team is, I believe. Uh, the Costa Rican champions, actually, now that this weekend has passed. I'll have to double-check that. Or my producer will have to double-check that. We'll get the producer on that one. But champions versus champions should be a delicious matchup. Be wondering to see how Atlanta looks next year, given, uh, you know, Martino certainly out, Almiron possibly out, uh, and other players coming in. Could be a completely different look Atlanta next year. Agreed. So we'll see how they do. And finally, Monterrey from Mexico, Alianza from El Salvador. Uh, Monterrey are really good. Alianza uh, might be. I don't know. Who cares? So that's basically it. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk plenty about those games when they're happening because, you know, can't help ourselves. What an important competition. The most important in maybe the world of the Champions Leagues. Yeah. I can't think sure. of a bigger one. Maybe the OFC Champions League. That one's pretty big. Okay. Yep. I think. I, okay. Second best. Yeah. But it's it's tough to get bigger than that. Producers telling me that Herediano are in fact Costa Rican champions. So, gotta get, gotta get that producer a raise. He is doing God's work. <laughs> all right, all right. So now let's take our turn at doing God's work. We're gonna put Portland Timbers into the ground. Last team among the sea of graves dug this season. I so for a lot of these, I've been saying, well, you know, I, I thought this is about the time I would have done it, or you know, maybe this is a little early for this team to be dug into the ground. But Portland. This is way longer than I would have expected them to have lasted at one point during the season. I don't know that there's any shame in having gotten this far for Portland when you consider how badly the season actually started for them. They they lost three games in their first five, only got two draws. They didn't get their win until the sixth game, which is a first home game against Minnesota United, a team that 
<laughs> team that never won on the road. So it's incredible how quickly they turned that season around. Yeah, and they had a really strong run uh, before kind of flattening out towards the end. Uh, and I think there has to be a lot of pride with getting that far. But whenever you lose a cup final loss, it's going to be a disappointing result. Uh, you know, you get that far, anything can happen. Uh, so, but they should be proud of what they accomplished. Uh, I don't think many gave them a, much of a shot to get where they did. No, they didn't. And you think about the obstacles they had to overcome to get there. You know, they got a result in Frisco against FC Dallas. They got a result against Seattle in Seattle. They got a result against Kansas City in Kansas City. Like that, if you had told me that they'd have to do all that just to get to the final, I'd say no. It's not going to happen. This team was terrible on the road all season. But, you know, in the playoffs, it's a different animal. And Giovanni Savarese really did a good job with this team in his first season as manager. So I do think they have a lot to look forward to in that department, just in the fact that this was this guy's first season. You know, it took them a little while just to figure some things out. And it looked like when they figured things out, they were rolling. And then, you know, they would get found out a little bit. And he would make adjustments. And they got back to it. And they made it all the way to the final. And if they had just finished a chance or two in MLS Cup, who knows how it would have gone. Yeah, and I mean, with all the uncertainties, actually, they had in a lot of places, Liam Ridgewell is a late-season uh, emergence at, like, when is he, like, 33 at center back. Um, did not play much during the regular season. Uh, they had three starting forwards. Uh, well, the third was uh, Jeremy Obobase. They got rid of Fernando Addy. Samuel Armenteros burst onto the scene and then burst off the quietly, scene. <laughs> I guess, burst off of it as loud as he could. Um you know, they, for, for me, as much as, like, getting to a final is, you know, it's a tremendous feat, I think they need to be more proud than maybe, you know, even I'm saying they should have some pride. They need to be more because I don't think this is nearly as complete a team as a lot in these MLS playoffs. And, I mean, they're a fifth seed. You look across the talent across the board, that's about where they line up. It's just that they have a couple standout players who can do the business. Guys like... Valeri, guys like Blanco. Um, but in that other attacking mid position, you know, and they're playing a 4 2 3 1, it's a weakness. I don't think Andy Polo was, you know, I think he looked bad in the final. I don't know if I saw enough out of him. And behind him, Darren Espria. I don't know. <laughs> Darren Espria, you mean? I do mean that. <laughs> that was <laughs> misspoken on my regard. Uh, uh, long gone is that, unfortunately, for Portland. So, I mean, yeah, I. I I think they have some things, good things to look forward to, but without a cup at the end of the season, do we really see them as like title contenders next year? That's a tough question. I, when I was writing up some things for this obituary, I was thinking that, you know, I actually don't know that this team is in great shape next year, but I don't know that I can consider them being in bad shape either when you consider that most of their roster is, you know, already pretty experienced, right? They're not getting any younger, so... I have to think that this is actually, you know, the window, so to speak, for Portland. It's here. Like, unless, unless you know, they get a young superstar talent, maybe it will be, say, becomes a star striker in the league, which is entirely possible. I think he does have the tools to get there. But short of that happening, this is a very, you know, kind of an older team, all things considered. You know, a lot of their talent is around that, you know, that sweet spot, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 years old, where you can still consider them to be in the primes of their career and still be able to count on their production next season. But there are also a lot of them on, on the edge of that, you know, the twilight of their prime entering the back end of their career. And we know from experience that sometimes that, you know, that back end of the career comes fast. And when that back end of the career comes fast, it is very hard to replace production on the fly. 
Very difficult. Uh, I would say they do have some good young talents, like you mentioned at Bobase. Uh, Alvis Powell and Zarek Valentin. Between them, you have real competition with two good right backs. Um, and other than that, it's it's veteran players. I mean, I think their defensive midfield pair of uh, David Guzman and Diego Chara is devastating. I mean, I, th- I thought they did a great job against Atlanta. And you look at the goals that was given up, it was just, you know, uh, a loss of possession that kind of just squeaked to a player who is, you know, no one was really expecting it to happen. Uh, and a free kick. Other than that, I mean, I don't think uh, Chara and Guzman gave up too much. Um, and ahead of them, Valeri. That's, that's a pretty strong midfield three. It is. And I think their midfield is solid. Their depth probably could use some work if that's one thing for sure that they might have to try to address this offseason just try to get you know at least one or two players that can come off the bench and make a real difference you know Aspria for as much as fun as I had with him in the early part of the playoffs seems like a pretty limited player so I don't know that I'm counting on him to produce you know you're going to have games next season again and you know teams are going to be a little more ready for you Savarese, it'll be his second season in the league. You know, you would expect him to continue adapting and continue learning what works and what doesn't. You know, he started the season off with that Christmas tree formation that I was raving about because I just love the way it looks on paper. And, you know, he adapted, and some might call this blasphemous, a bit of a blasphemous comparison, but, you know, they remind me a lot of the way France played during the World Cup, just in terms of, you know, the personnel that they use in their 4-2-3-1. You know, you have Pogba and Kante for France. Basically, you can compare them to Chara and Guzman playing behind the midfield three in front of them that are, you know, getting further up the field. And then, you, of course, I can also consider... France is 4-2-3-1. The third guy after Griezmann and uh, Lemar was Matuidi, who's not really a wide midfielder. It's more of a central midfielder, but he was able to fill that role nicely for France out wide. Same goes for Polo. Less so for Polo. I think you mean Mbappe, not Lamar, ah, but I get yes. your point. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't play. What am I talking about? Um, Polo, the only thing I, I'm looking at is I think he's a bit more of a uh, – an out-and-out winger, while Matuidi is more of a box-to-box midfielder. Could have uh, fooled me with Polo. Adapted, both kind of adapted into like that mixture of a role. So like Matuidi kind of playing a little bit wide, a little bit central. Same thing with Polo. But I was I was much more disappointed with Polo than I think anyone could say about Matuidi. Uh, and I do find that comparison slightly blasphemous. But <laughs> oh, uh, and I I forgot to make the best part. <laughs> Giroud oh, okay. and Ibobise, same thing. Not a lot of goals, just, you know, central focal points. <laughs> My God, I I mean, I don't think either team exactly plays pretty. They hit on the counter, they clog up the center, uh, and they let their, uh, I guess, their attacking mid-duo, Blanco and uh, Valeri or Griezmann and Mbappe, do the, da- do the damage. So I get where you're coming out with that, but France is a complete squad. Uh, as much as I didn't give them credit earlier in the year, I thought they'd fall apart. They didn't. Um, I think there's weaknesses in this Portland team. Specifically, I'm looking at Liam Ridgewell at center back. Uh, you know, he was a temporary solution uh, to the problem. I'm not a big Andy Polo fan. I think he's a good substitute to come off the bench. But I'm looking at them kind of addressing that issue, and we'll see what they do at forward. Because outside of a Bobase, they don't really have an option there either. I would have to agree with... That like and it's like it goes back to that thing about the depth. So we'll see what they do this off season. It'll be interesting to see how they put it together. Because like I said, I do think that the, while 
I don't know that there's urgency per se. I do think that this group's not getting any younger, and so the time to win is pretty much now for them. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think for this team has uh, should be panicking a little bit more than you would think for a team that would be is making a cup final. More than they should feel. I just think there's too many pieces they need to look at. Uh, this isn't Seattle finishing sixth and making a run. Uh, you know, that was a pretty dominant Seattle side and with what they wanted to do. I don't think this team was ever dominant. They were just one or two little mistakes away uh, from being eliminated on any given day. So uh, I think they need to address some issues moving forward. But I think they have the right guy at the helm with Savarese. Uh, and certainly some strong pieces in the midfield. Yeah, so I, I was going to say, so do they have a panic level? Because remember, a couple of the last teams didn't. No, I th- and I, that was kind of what I was trying to get at, I guess, was sneaking it in before you'd notice. But it's it's much higher than any team making a final should be. This is a team that should should be worried uh, because you have a lot of teams, I've, I'm going to think, are going to be strengthening their lineup. Uh, this team is still not better, I think, long-term over the course of a season than the teams that finish above them. Even RSL, I'm more afraid of next year than this oh, team. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a young, it's a young oh, RSL team. Oh, come on It's now. a team that's adapting and getting better. I, you know, Seattle, LAFC after their first season is going to be a, a real problem. Even Dallas, if they without Oscar Perea, if they can sort some things oh, out. That's not going to happen that's either. That's a dangerous I team. I don't think so. They've, they, there's rumors that they want to go young, and that's already a pretty young team, so... I don't. I yeah, have to I disagree with that. Uh, well, we'll we'll see. There there'll be plenty of time to have that debate later. But oh wow, RSL over Portland. I, that how dare you at at, the, at Portland's funeral? How dare you? I know. That, speaking of blasphemous, but I'm I'm worried about uh, about them moving forward next year. I still think they're a playoff team, but you know, as long as they get in the playoffs, you can do anything. And yeah, they showed know, it for sure. They 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 talent, are the perfect so. example. I know they didn't win the title, but still. Certainly a uh, successful season, I would say, in their eyes, nonetheless. Yeah, hopefully for them. The other, the only issue I would have with them to start is that there's rumors that they want to do construction on Providence Park. So they started this season with, like, five straightaway games. I would imagine that layoff would be just as long, if not longer, to start next season if they have to do construction at Providence Park. Especially if it hasn't even started yet. So, uh, But, I mean, I guess those first five games in the road gave them a little juice later on when they had more home games. Who's to say? Yeah. All right. Well, now it's time to celebrate the lone survivors. Congratulations to Atlanta United for not getting buried into the ground with all the rest of the tombstones. Instead, they're parading around doing all those crazy Fortnite dances all over the graves, as you know, sacrilegious as it may be for them to do so. I mean, I, I guess you get that kind of uh, freedom when you win the cup. Did you see? You can't. You can do no did wrong. Did you see when they were doing their celebration where they were going to do like the classic, okay, we're going to put the trophy down here and everyone's going to slide towards it? And they had to like get yeah, the yeah. owner out of the way because the owner didn't like know that this was going to happen. Arthur Blank. Yeah, he, Arthur Blank, Blank had no idea like that this is a thing, I guess. Because he, like, he was just like kind of casually walking in that direction and someone had to like grab him and be like, Mr. Blank, no. Uh, I thought it was a little weird when he raise the trophy himself. Uh, I, I That's not weird. That, that's initially. like American Sports 101 right there. The owner always gets the trophy first, Emmett. I know, but he, like, raised it. I like Usually it's like a ceremony where he kind of gives it off to the coach, and the coach gives it off to the player. But he kind of, like, <laughs> got the first laugh. I think it was <laughs> a little bit Americanized, but, uh, yeah. The, the, hey, at least the, he the cares. He clearly cares. Organized. 
And I think any Atlanta fan would tell you that they're they're happy he was the first to hoist it because what he's created was absolutely incredible in Atlanta. This is a team that is, I think it's unlike any MLS team we've seen so far. Agreed. They are a different animal entirely from what we've seen in the past. And by no means perfect. You know, they had their struggles throughout the season. They weren't unbeatable. You know, there are definitely times where even the great Tata Martino was outcoached. But uh, incredible talent. Filling up a massive stadium. Many, many uh, times. This was the ninth time I think they said they had over 70,000. Which is incredible. I mean, they had great community outreach, building soccer fields across the city, uh, really in touch with their fans. Uh, and, you know, it helps being, you know, located downtown. But for me, this is like, you know, every year we're getting a new gold standard in the league. At one point, Seattle came into the league. It's like, oh, you got to be better than Seattle now. Toronto gets this kind of goes from being the perennial worst team to injecting a bunch of money, buying big stars, and winning. Uh, Toronto, you got to go after Toronto. You got to follow their footsteps. Now it's Atlanta. I don't know what's next. I don't know how you top that. Yeah, we'll see. You know, well, we're at MLS 3.0, right? I guess Atlanta is now officially the poster child for it. And we'll see what happens when MLS 4.0 comes around and somebody inevitable, when we're having this conversation again in three to four years and we're talking about uh, Miami. Inter Miami and how anyone's ever going to match that squad. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think Atlanta can keep up this their squad and coaching and all of that at the at the point. But the, I think the only thing that's not making them jump ahead to MLS 4.0 is that they play on a turf field. Uh, I mean, if they had a soccer specific stadium that seated seventy thousand on a grass field, I think you would say it doesn't get much better. Ah, uh, well, there, yeah, I mean that's peak MLS forever, though. I think we're still a ways away from that, unfortunately. And to be fair, not many places outside of what, like you know, Madrid or Barcelona, can even pull that. So, or uh, Man United. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, this is. This was Atlanta's year. It really was. And look, the, the amount of talent that's just on this team, you know, it, it doesn't really occur to you. You know, yeah, look, everybody knows about Martinez, MVP of the league, leading goal scorer, Almiron, you know, man headed for Europe, the poster child of the league right now for coming in and, you know, coming and bettering your career so that you can make the jump to Europe after a couple seasons in MLS. Uh, everybody knows the name. Even like, you know, Vialba is still kind of you know, one of the bigger names on the team. They spent the, the record transfer free for Ezekiel Barco. Julian Gressel was Rookie of the Year last year. Darling Tignagby is a U.S. Men's National Team, you know, regular, and you know had already won an MLS Cup with Portland in the league before. You know, a lot of well-known names. But then you get behind that, you know, Rometty, who was brought in mid-season, he made a huge difference in that midfield. Yeah, I mean, he's he was absolutely, you know, kind of a quiet leader on that team, and um, just how he played. I mean, he's cutting plays out, he's starting them on the other side. Uh, kind of the guy you needed for to sit alongside, you know, help Michael Parkhurst. And, I mean, he basically displaced Jeff Lorenowitz, who had been terrific for them before that. Yeah, he really he really brought them an extra dynamic, I think, because he's just he's such a smart player. And at one point, you know, I talked about that formation that they ran out. I think it was against the Red Bulls. They basically, they played the three back line, but they played Rometty just a little bit in front of that back line, kind of sweeping up in front of them, which I think really did wonders for them and gave them that flexibility to be able to go to the five because he does so much work on both ends of the field. So uh, I think that was a great signing by them midseason, one that probably won't get the same love as some other midseason signings. Uh, you know, they, they missed Greg Garza for half the season. You know, he only came back at the very end. 
And, you know, that was crucial for them getting him back to play left back and left wing back. I mean, don't forget Leandro Gonzalez-Perez was in these playoffs, but I think he was the the standout defender of any. He was phenomenal as well. He did a, he did a very good job. And then there's, you know, and Michael Parker. So this is his fifth MLS Cup final. He finally won one. If nothing else, if you had nothing to cheer for in that game, you should have been cheering for Parkhurst. That's yeah, a man that deserves a trophy. I'm kind of hoping he can go out on top here. Uh, take his super, uh, not super, my God, take his MLS Cup, take his super MLS Cup, <laughs> move move on, uh, retire at the top, maybe take a coaching position with Atlanta as an assistant. Uh, but we'll see about that because he's tough. To, it'll be tough to replace in that position. He will be because he was a rock and also a very, very good leader by all accounts in that locker room as well. That's very tough to replace as well. And of course, you know, like I said, Michael. If you want him to win a Super Cup, he's gonna have to stick around another season. I believe the, camp, the very prestigious Campionas Cup coming up next <laughs> next year uh, in August against whatever Liga MX team represents Mexico. Beautiful. Uh, and even outside of that, you know, okay, so you have your veterans in Lorenowitz. Uh, even Nagby could be considered that uh, in Parkhurst. And Guzan. Don't oh, forget Brad yes, Guzan. Oh, yes, Brad Guzan as well. Played every game in the uh, – he may have played every single game for Atlanta this season, even in the Open Cup. I'll have to check that. No, I'm just uh, kidding. Let's get up to our producer on that, but I'm pretty sure uh, Alex Alec Khan uh, did play a couple games when Guzan was with uh, the national team. But, I mean, and then you have the youth. George Bello. 16-year-old wingback scoring a goal. Franco Escobar scoring two goals in the playoffs uh, as, a, as another young wingback slash center back. Uh, Andrew Carlton, kind of the one of the premier up-and-coming uh, attacking mids. So this, he, this is a team that kind of does it all. Who was suspended for MLS Cup final. Carlton was. I don't... I don't think he was going to play. Yeah, but. I, something, <laughs> something's weird going on there. I don't know. Uh, look, I don't know enough about the situation to be talking about it, but uh, that that is a little concerning. I hope that he's got a, his head on straight. That's obviously one of the biggest things when you're talking about young prospects is you don't want them getting their heads uh, too far up you-know-where before they're, they've taken off anywhere. Yeah, perhaps that's kind of what we saw with Barco. Uh, you know, big money signing kind of got his... A little too ahead of himself before he really did anything in Atlanta. And agreed, but I agreed on that. Yeah, they got because Barco. Remember the whole thing with him and Vasquez. Yeah, and that's another young talent. Um, but yeah, I, glossing over the uh, the, the affair whole and the <laughs> girlfriend stealing <laughs> attempt from Barco. Hey, it worked great for Cardi. Uh, yeah, I tell that to his uh, position on the Argentinian national. Well, other team. than that, I mean, he he looks very happy outside of that. Uh, and and then you know the the thing is now they are bringing in other star players, spending out more big money. Yes. So the word is P.D. Martinez, uh, whose first name is actually Gonzalo, coming in from River Plate. It seems all accounts, even he confirmed it basically in the post game after they won the Libertadores final. So that's first of all a huge get for Atlanta getting a player who just is coming off winning the Copa Libertadores. Uh, I imagine he'll join Atlanta after River Plate's. Uh, run in the Club World Cup, which I would imagine will last all the way to the final when they'll inevitably lose to Real Madrid. Although, who knows? Maybe they'll beat Real Madrid. Real Madrid aren't exactly very good right now. so Completely possible. And watching that game, Martinez was absolutely electric uh, getting the ball. Pacey player, good dribbler, strong left foot. Scored a goal. Bit of a gimme <laughs> at the end. Oh, yeah, but that's the goal we all dream of scoring right there. <laughs> Dribbling it from 60 yards away with no one in front yes. of you. <laughs> it's it's everybody's dream because there's no way you can mess it up. 
But if you do, oh, well, it's if you a mess nightmare. that up, oh, I don't even want to think about it. It'd be like Chris Boswell for the Steelers this weekend, slipping on the kick that would have tied the game. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely not a pretty sight. But moving forward, I'm sure we said we would be saying this last year with Toronto uh, that they have everything going for them. I mean, Toronto made some big signings too, but uh, we'll see how this team uses their depth. I think if they had Martino uh, Tata, they'd have they'd be able to deal with the. CONCACAF Champions uh, League quite well, but, you know, reports of Guillermo Barrios-Scalotto. Did I say that right? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it to you. That sounds pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, coming in and uh, taking over. So it's not a not a huge step down, all things considered. That, but that would be a big get for we'll Atlanta, see how he does. for sure. And if they can pull that off, I think they'll be right back in the thick of it next season. Uh, in terms of next season, just, you know, quick little nitpicks to go forward. If it is, in fact, Almiron leaving, and I have to imagine he is, because if he's not... Uh, I'd be very interested to see how they would possibly fit uh, all those players on the team with Martinez coming in. So I, I suppose you just cancel the Martinez transfer. That seems like a very bad business decision. <laughs> well, I mean, you have a front four of uh, Joseph Martinez, Pity Martinez, Almiron if he stays, and Barco. And Vialba, who's still there. <laughs> Who, again, well, I guess will have to be an impact sub. But <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. Unbelievable. We'll see how that goes for them. And look, you expect Barco to take a step forward next season. He will grow, you would hope, uh, into his role. I, they will need him next season. I imagine Vialba, if the, uh, if things stay the way they are, Vialba will probably find himself in the starting 11 at some point. Just because... Definitely they'll be needing players like that, getting plenty of time. They'll need more impacts. And uh, you hope that, you know, Bayo gets more work next season you hope that Andrew Carlton gets more work next season and you continue to mix them in and we'll see how the Champions League goes for them like I said it's not going to be an easy first round matchup but they'll have to deal with it and look if there's a team equipped to deal with it I certainly think the talent is there in Atlanta to do so I mean think of okay so say they keep Almiron and get pity Martinez suddenly you have to decide you know if you're going to play Gressel in the midfield you have to decide between Rometty, Gressel and Nagby and Lorenowitz in the midfield Maybe put Gressel at right back. Okay. It's just so many issues. Good uh, problems to have, I'd say, all things considered. Good problems to have, yeah. yes. But Personally, I, I do like... Strong squad. I do think that the four-two-three-one, if they're going to go that way, I would think it's going to be something like, you know, Garza, Gonzalez-Pirez. I'm thinking, I don't think Parkhurst is going to retire. Maybe that's just my gut. But I don't think he retires, so I think you put him there. I think you do play Escobar at right back, and I actually think that you play, you know, the two, you play Rometty and Nagby sort of behind the, you know, in the four two three one, you play them as a two. I think you play Petey. Uh, I'm assuming Olimiron's going to leave. So you play Barco behind Martinez, and then you play on the right. You just play Gressel there, and you play Martinez up top. I mean, the good thing I, I'm seeing with that lineup, though, is you're worried about Parkhurst being isolated in a two-man back line. You can push Escobar into being a third center back, Gressel back to being a wing back, and have Almiron and Pity playing under Martinez. So, so many awesome options for this team. And Always I'm good to have excited. options. I'm already, I already can't wait for the season <laughs> to start next <laughs> And it'll be here before you know it. So, plenty to talk about next season. We'll, we'll have it all for you as we always. But right before we go here, there's one rumor I wanted to talk to you about. The Sergio Santos to Philadelphia Union. What do you think? Uh, I don't know enough about the guy. Philly fans are... Always, they just want to bring in anyone. <laughs> so they don't need to know anything about him. They just want to bring him. He in. plays in South America. Sign me up. Gotta get him. <laughs> uh, I think people have had enough of CJ Sapong. Uh, I, you know, 
Sergio Santos, Mario Balotelli. I don't know. I don't oh, care. Bring in Balotelli. I hope it's Balotelli over Santos. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. But I, I think Sergio Santos could work, <laughs> knowing absolutely nothing about him other than I think he scored like nine goals in the Chilean league. So, which is a good league. So, uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be so sure about that. I don't. I've, I'm giving to understand the league's fallen off a lot in the last few years. <laughs> It's a historic There you league, go, historic. Okay? And the other one I wanted to touch on, it's actually official now. Maxi Aruti going to Montreal. I think that makes all the sense in the world. Congratulations to Montreal for listening to me and getting yourself an actual number nine. I'm sure it'll work great for them. Uh, good signing for them. Definitely needed it. And now they have like six strikers in their lineup, five of which are mostly useless. Uh, there was also a report that there would be a Atlanta player going to Vancouver. Haven't heard much about uh, that. I but. think, uh, what's his name, Tannenwald? said that he has had it debunked debunked so good news there'll be no uh transfer hangover for an atlanta player <laughs> almiron's going to vancouver he said he's leaving the country he didn't say he was leaving the continent now that would be the kind of stuff that the american soccer show audience would eat up we love that <laughs> if, kind of thing if almiron going to Vancouver would honestly, I, there'd be a whole hour episode dedicated to me talking about how great the Vancouver front office is. Doesn't matter that they have Breck Shea on a DP contract. It does not matter. anymore. I think he's anyone. I think he's out. <laughs> he's gone. Well, I don't know if he's gone, gone, but like I think he right now he's not under contract anymore. Well, I can't wait to see when Orlando signs him on a uh, DP contract. Stop, because. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna do uh, it. Mohamed El- speaking of Orlando City, not even not even written down here. Uh, Mohamed El Mounir, your favorite, heading to LAFC in exchange for John Mucinho. Allegedly, I think it's a bad deal for I think it's a bad deal for LAFC if that were to happen. Mutinho, now 19 years old, young player, a lot of time to grow. El Mounir, decent attacker, probably one of the worst <laughs> defending left backs I've seen in the league in a long. Well, time. we will definitely talk about what how we feel about El Mounir next time because. It's the first ever American Soccer Show Awards. Next time we talk, uh, we, I've been debating on a name, Emmett. What are we going to call them other than the American Soccer Show Awards? You know, uh, the McCanters, the Alconnells. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. It's it def- I think it should be named after someone. You know, maybe some the person who donates the most money to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Any day, Rose. Uh, yeah, but that'll be uh, for the fans. Uh, surprise coming up in the future uh but for now <clears throat> the awards uh will be gr- good stuff we got some good content coming up yeah we do and we'll, uh, we'll we can even talk about that uh liga mx final this uh upcoming week between america and cruz azul the uh derby of mexico city they call it the young Clásico. can't tell you why i don't know how i feel oh well you want america it's- to win calm down uh, not, not about that, but about the name. Oh, that's, that's anyway. Yeah, I agree. It's very dumb. <laughs> but I guess they couldn't come up with anything else. So, you know, for some people, the Golden Globes, the the Oscars, for some knuckleheads, it's the Emmys. It is the award show to watch this year. It is the American Soccer Show Awards. Put it on your calendar. We don't have a time yet, but put it there anyway. Just block up the whole week. Yeah. you're probably gonna want to listen to it at least seven times. <laughs> I love it. Anyway. That is all the time we have this week on the American Soccer Show. Last episode of the regular season. Uh, of the of the MLS season. <laughs> the regular season ended about a month ago. <laughs> this is this is my moment, Eric. Let me. <laughs> I'm taking it away. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes or Google or Spotify. You can find us. Tune everywhere. in radio. Go back. 
Pocket Casts. Go back. Overcasts. Literally every single one. Go back. Listen to some of the comments we made earlier in the season. Tell us how dumb tell we us are. How, tell us how dumb we are on Twitter. Ask us some questions. Uh, and make sure to leave a review. Uh, at least three stars. We'll take anything, people. Uh, show your love <laughs> for the American Soccer preferably Show. Until five, next time. Though. Yeah, I guess we should say preferably five, but at least three. Uh, I'm Emmett McConnell, alongside Eric Alcantor, signing off. <laughs>